After more than a month of isolation and self-quarantine for virtually every state in the United States, we have a big question. When can movie theaters reopen? And then when they do, what steps will they need to take in order to return to something that looks like the old normal? This is the Box Office Podcast, made with the support of Dolby. I'm Russ Fisher from the Box Office Studios, which provides editorial content to exhibitors. In the past few days, a push to reopen parts of the U.S. economy has really gained steam, driven by a variety of players, not the least of which is President Donald Trump. Governors in states like Georgia and Tennessee have now said that businesses previously ordered to shutter uh, will be encouraged to open within days, and this includes movie theaters. So that raised a lot of questions for us. This week, we're going to talk about what a possible reopening for theaters means, and in a much broader sense, look at how that process is not as simple as opening the doors and turning on the projectors in the popcorn machine. We want to address some of the questions that you probably have about the whole process, because we almost certainly have exactly the same questions. And I am joined, as always, by Daniel Luria of Box Office Pro. Daniel, hi. Hey, Russ. How are you doing? Good, good, good. I think uh, you know we, we always uh, start off by by the requisite uh, are we coughing check, and I think uh, for now uh, both our families and uh, our immediate network seem to be fine. We're healthy over here, which is nice. We experienced an earthquake last night, which living in Los Angeles is not unusual. This was one of the weirdest ones I've ever felt in my life. At like twelve fifteen last night, my wife and I were asleep, and it honestly felt like somebody had driven a car into our house because the whole house, there was a bang and the whole house shook once and it didn't even occur to me that it could be an earthquake. So that was the most dramatic thing that has happened in the last week or so, but it was pretty, pretty traumatic and disorienting. <laughs> Much better than a, a COVID-19 cough though. So all things considered, I will take it. You know, you and I have talked about this a little bit over the last few days, uh, certainly as we were deciding that this was the topic we wanted to cover this week. I want to start by running through some of the reopening guidelines that have been established by the White House, because those are sort of the overarching umbrella under which anything else that happens on a state level technically needs to abide by, though I think we're going to see that the precise mechanisms for that are a little unclear right now. Yeah, it's been a, a busy news week here. It started last week with the White House releasing their proposed criteria and guidelines for reopening the economy, an approach that would come in three different phases, all working with a base criteria that would have to be in place. And so as we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, not only for cinemas, but for every out-of-home entertainment destination, we are likely looking at this gradual tiered recovery effort. The way the White House is planning this sort of national ramping back up to business program would mean that every state would have to have three criteria to even qualify for any of the reopening phases. The first of those criteria is going to be symptoms. They're asking to see a downward trajectory of uh, flu-like illnesses within 14-day periods 
and a downward trajectory of uh, the COVID-like uh, syndrome cases that are reported within that 14-day period. That's one of the three gating criteria. The second one are the number of cases. They're looking to see a downward trend of documented COVID-19 tests within this two-week span, or a downward trajectory of positive tests as a percent of total tests within a 14-day period. That means a flat, a flatter increasing volume of tests within an increased testing effort. So that way, uh, states that test more aren't being punished by a higher number of cases. It would be taken in context of, of the total number of cases in. And finally, uh, the hospital situation. The final gating criteria would be that hospitals would need to treat every patient without uh, crisis care conditions. And they would also need to have a robust uh, testing program in place for healthcare workers that are especially vulnerable during this period. Those are the basic uh, three criteria that the White House is asking for when states are looking to enter this uh, reopening of the economy. It's a bit confusing, to be honest, because after these guidelines were announced, a number of states went ahead and declared that they were ready to take on phase one of the recovery. And to be honest, I think the visibility on some of these gating criteria is still a little muddled, specifically looking at the testing efforts done on a state-by-state basis that, that I know have been frustrating. So I think it's important to say that these gating criteria to even be in the phase one part of the recovery are guidelines. I'm not exactly sure how they're being monitored or followed either from a federal or state level. Regardless, these are the guidelines that the White House put forward. Now, when it comes to the phase one of the recovery, this would be the first cycle of businesses starting to open. And movie theaters were explicitly listed alongside other businesses, such as sit-down restaurants, uh, sporting venues, and places of worship. So with those guidelines in mind, we have statements from the governors of Georgia and Tennessee. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee said the state's stay-at-home order will expire on April 30th, with a range of businesses allowed to open on May 1st. Brian Kemp in Georgia said, quote, subject to specific social distancing and sanitation mandates, theaters, private social clubs, and restaurant dine-in services will be allowed to reopen on Monday, April 27th, which is early. And one interesting thing in there is in Governor Kemp's statement is the suggestion that even movie theaters would need to adhere to one of the mandates uh, set out by the White House, which is that all individuals, when in public, should maximize physical distance from others, and that social settings of more than 10 people where appropriate distancing may not be practical should be avoided unless precautionary measures are observed. Now, it's easy to say, okay, no gatherings of more than 10 people, but when you actually read the language there, it's a little, it's open to interpretation. You know, if a movie theater can say, well, we'll keep every opposite seat empty or we'll be sure to seat people six feet apart. Does that allow them to skirt around the limit of 10 people per gathering? And furthermore, would they want to get around that limit, which is a whole other question 
that we're going to get to in a minute. That's right, Russ. And going from that first phase of recovery where you mention a cap of 10 people per these social spaces, phase two, after we see a sort of a continued decrease in cases, would increase that cap to 50 people. And that would be before, of course, the final phase, which would be the third phase of recovery. So we more or less have a game plan of what seems to be suggestions for reopening, guidelines to reopen, that is still very much open to interpretation and does not have a fixed uh, timeline attached to that. And of course, one of the things that, like last week, we talked about the idea of how chains and theaters are maintaining communication with their customers, with the audiences, and how they're reassuring them that the theaters will be a safe space to return to. And there isn't a whole lot in these guidelines that really helps communicate that. So we've seen theaters open in other countries. China opened theaters and then had to close. And I think that, Daniel, you've seen other trends in other countries that might be kind of uh, applicable to predicting what we're going to see or what we might see here if theaters were to reopen based on these state opportunities. The China example that you bring up, I think, is the biggest learning lesson that I take from this entire first month, where China's been dealing with this crisis for a longer time. And when they originally lifted sanctions, but did so with, again, not too many clear uh, guidelines or responsibilities for this reopening, there was a quick sort of pushback and cinemas had to close up shop again. For me, that was a, a very important moment in the importance of making sure that you can communicate what is needed to reopen safely, not only for the business owners, but also with the public. I think that was a, a very early warning sign that I would regret be a, a missed opportunity for the other markets to learn from. Right now in Europe, we're seeing theaters really in only one market be open, which is Belarus. Belarus is the only market in the region that I know of that's still operating cinemas, uh, obviously a very, very small market. But we are seeing the beginnings of specific economies throughout the EU starting to lift sanctions. The only one where we have cinemas specifically listed as a business that can reopen in the imminent future is the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic has listed cinemas to reopen with a tentative date of around June 8th. They're in the list with several other businesses. And uh, of course, we're recording this podcast in late April. That's still some time away. It's important to note that as every country in Europe is going through different experiences and the rate of infections and recoveries, so are different states here in the United States. So I think we might see a, a very similar sort of... Um, timeline and process for cinemas to reopen. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Russ, that Tennessee was one of the states that was planning to reopen. According to data from the New York Times, Tennessee has had a total of 7,341 COVID-19 cases. In comparison, uh, the Czech Republic has had a total of 7,033 cases of COVID-19. So the cases in a state like Tennessee really match up very similarly to those in, in a country like the Czech Republic. The big difference is 
the Czech Republic is taking its time in a sort of measured, gradual approach to allow cinemas to reopen in early June, whereas Tennessee has taken a bit more of a proactive approach. When we compare those cases with the number of COVID-19 uh, positive results in a state like Georgia, the New York Times, which is tracking these tests daily, is reporting that the state of Georgia has had 19,738 cases of COVID-19. That is more than twice the number of uh, cases that we're seeing in a country like Czech Republic, which is the one European country which has the earliest date for reopening cinemas on the map. With all of that in mind, just because governors say that theaters can open does not necessarily mean that they will. Uh, we can look to the example of Sweden, which did not restrict theaters from operating, but most theaters have closed anyway, in part because people don't seem to want to go. They're practicing social distancing on their own and staying away, which is almost certainly prudent. And consequently, theaters have just gone dark even without an official mandate. So just after Brian Kemp in Georgia said that theaters would be allowed to open, Variety ran a piece uh, on April 20th, which has a, a headline that pretty much tells you what you need to know, which is most movie theaters in Georgia won't reopen next week, despite governor's plans. And there's a variety of data within that. But it comes down to the fact that you know the Cinemark chain has said July 1st is their soft target reopen, and that's not set in stone. Other theaters have remained quiet about when an open date is, and even independent theaters like the Plaza in Atlanta says that they are almost certainly not going to open until June at the very least. So Daniel, along those lines, what have you heard that suggests what sort of timeline we might be able to expect? Apart from uh, those statements that have been made in the press, obviously at the beginning of this crisis, uh, AMC was expecting an eight to uh, the 12 week closure. And then we had more recently Cinemark going forward and saying they're expecting that July 1st date. I think everyone's taking a sort of wait and see approach as we're all learning how to navigate this crisis. The National Association of Theater Owners put out a statement today addressing the decision of some of these governors to allow cinemas to reopen. They said, quote, while some states and localities are beginning to authorize the opening of movie theaters under certain conditions, the movie theater industry is also a national one. Until the majority of markets in the U.S. are open and major markets in particular, new wide release movies are unlikely to be available. As a result, some theaters in some areas that are authorized to reopen may be able economically to reopen with repertory product. However, many theaters will not be able to feasibly open. That was a statement uh, sent today by the National Association of Theater Owners, really making it very clear, just because you can doesn't mean you will or that it's economically prudent to do so, let alone the... Uh, the potential uh, health hazards that might be in play here. Even if you open the doors and start putting people back on payroll, if you don't have wide release movies scheduled until mid-July with Christopher Nolan's Tenet, which we're still hoping will be coming out that date, but anything can change, it's going to be very, very difficult to operate a successful business for the next 10 to 12 weeks. I mean, there's nothing on the schedule until functionally until June. I think 
Universal might still have uh, like the King of Staten Island set for June, but there's almost certainly no way that that is going to open when it was originally planned. So you've got Tenant, which is still set for July 17th, and then the rescheduled opening of Mulan from Disney on July 24th. Those two are almost certainly going to be seen as kind of the grand, the real grand reopening titles. And it's appropriate, I guess, that the new Christopher Nolan movie would be that title because of the advocacy that he has uh, voiced within the business community. He's advocated for film. He's advocated for the theatrical experience. And so I think there's every reason that all of the players involved here at the top level would see Tenet as the ideal title to use to bring people back to theaters. Daniel, unless I've missed something, we haven't really seen major studios discuss openly what sort of titles they might make available to theaters as repertory programming. That's right, Ross. Uh, We are still expecting to to hear something from the major studios uh, in the coming weeks about what would be available to theaters. Of course, as this sort of develops day by day, the news is just trickling in. The only piece of good news on this end that we've heard is IFC Films and independent and specialty distributor has already announced it would make its entire catalog of titles available to exhibitors uh, with no rental fee. So that means uh, titles like uh, Boyhood or Ituma Tambien would be available for cinemas uh, looking for content before this first uh, wide release cycle begins. And then once you go beyond the question of titles to put in front of audiences, which is not an insignificant question by any means, you get to a lot of other practical considerations, such as the idea that, you know, according to the top-down White House guidelines, businesses should take some medical practices into hand in order to ensure the safety of patrons. So things like, do we need to expect an AMC theater to take the temperature literally of people as they enter the theater as has been done you know in airports and things like that now of course that's a good precautionary measure and i think every precautionary measure should be taken i don't know how that works with a movie theater which is staffed by people who are not medical professionals daniel have you heard anything there that gives you a sense of how that sort of thing might work it's really difficult to even begin to imagine how you could enforce or enact some of these protocols, or even if cinemas would be legally available to ask uh, a paying patron for uh, health information as they come in. The, these, this is very much uncharted waters, and we really haven't received any sort of firm suggestions or guidelines from either state or federal agencies on what some of these um, sanitation or health practices could look like or what businesses could do to enact them. Now, cinemas do have the benefit that they can restrict admission within the capacity protocols that they have, meaning that they can decide that their auditorium that can seat 100 people can only seat 10 for this one screening uh, during phase one or 50 or 100, depending on the size of an auditorium. They can be very uh, reflexive and proactive in how many people they let in. When you start talking about who you let in that's already bought a ticket, 
I think that raises some very uncomfortable questions on liability. And that's only from the paying customer level. We haven't even touched on how can cinemas protect their employees, that yes, they're available to come back to work according to the state governments, but you still want to make sure, as we're seeing right now with uh, hospitals and, and supermarkets, that your employees are protected as much as they possibly can be. With the shortage of protective equipment in the healthcare fields, I wonder how much protective equipment would be available to businesses in the entertainment sector once they begin to reopen. This is uh, an important question to tackle. You wanna make sure that no one in your staff and no one in your audience gets sick in coming back to the cinema. And you wanna make sure you can take every precaution available uh, to prevent that. And then there's also, along with that, comes questions of training. For what most of these chains have furloughed or laid off a large percentage of their workforce. These people need to be brought back to work and or rehired, depending on the circumstances of their individual statuses. And then if that if it is a situation where all the employees need to observe kind of medically stringent guidelines, they need to be trained in doing so. You know, this is not a situation where we can just say, oh, okay, on Monday we're open again. There are supply chains. There are, you know, are there concessions available? What's the safe way to deliver those concessions? What's the safe way to handle them? Uh, what are sanitation procedures? Uh, do theaters have the proper equipment to manage waste and other sanitary questions properly? As soon as you start pulling on one thread of this, a whole set of questions kind of spills out. And I don't know how many of these businesses have answers for most of them, much less all of them. These are all really tough but crucial questions that we need answers to. And unfortunately, even though we have uh, government officials uh, saying that cinemas can begin to reopen, I think we're going to need to get more clarity on these questions uh, when it comes to operations and keeping employees and audiences safe before we start seeing cinemas jump back into the fold, right? Along the lines of how things start to look complex as soon as you pull on a few threads, I want to mention another consideration which is a little less public-facing. I spoke to Chris Escobar, who runs the historic single-screen Plaza Theater in Atlanta, which I mentioned earlier. They had two of their best months on record in January and February of this year, which fortunately helped prepare them financially for a period of shutdown. But you know that doesn't mean that things are easy going forward. While Chris told me that they could probably be operational within a couple of days once they got an all clear and and felt it was safe to do so, you know they might have to operate with reduced concession offerings and that sort of thing, but they could be going. And now those concessions would make up a not insignificant percentage of their revenue. The real loss that a theater like the Plaza faces is from rentals. Chris said that his rental business and bookings began to dry up in February and that they typically book anywhere from a month to six months out. Now, this is a part of the business that for a theater like the Plaza and possibly even for larger theaters can represent up to 25% of the income and you don't have to pay money back out like you do when you're booking a first or second run release from a major studio. You know, you don't have to pay a rental fee. It's like this is essentially a cash business that really helps support 
these smaller theaters. And while those theaters can be up and running, if the people who are booking events, uh, whether they're schools, churches, you know, TV companies uh, or film productions, which might book a theater in which uh, to shoot, to use it as a location, or even larger events, you know, uh, theaters might make money off of studios renting the space for a premiere. None of that is going to come back immediately, and we don't have a time frame for when it will return, which is going to be a big issue for these theaters that rely on rental income for a significant part of their financial profile. Now, it's important to bring up that this doesn't mean that the cinema experience is going to be among the last type of entertainment destinations to open in these sort of tiered reopenings. I think it's telling that they were included in this phase one deal that the White House recommends. Part of that reason is because the movie-going experience today requires a lot less contact than it did even six, seven years ago. If you look at the digital ticketing apps that cinemas either have through themselves or through partners like a Fandango or like an Adam Tickets, you don't have to go through the ticket buying process with a face-to-face transaction. If you look at some of these apps, uh, again, both exhibitors and through partners like an Adam Tickets, you can also order concessions through your phone before you even arrive to the cinema. So if you want to imagine your trip to go see uh, Tenet, hopefully in mid-July, Russ, you and I can buy tickets uh, here from our phones together, split the bill, and order our concessions so we can just pick them up uh, once we get to the cinema without having to have a face-to-face interaction with anyone. We can go into an, an auditorium where we've already selected two seats through a seating map that has given us enough space between patrons. And we can watch the movie in a socially uh, safe, with socially safe distances between everyone in an environment that respects a lot of these guidelines. So even though there are challenges ahead, there are a lot of opportunities in how we can see the movie-going experience adapt itself for a trip to the movies. I don't think it's going to be as difficult as, say, the next time we might be able to go to a baseball game. Right. And of course, all of this also comes with the provision that I think you and I, more than most people, are eager for the opportunity to go back to a movie theater again. But we're also eager to maintain the health of our families and ourselves and our colleagues. And ultimately, we hope for a safe and viable way to go back to the movies. I think there's nothing quite as scary as the idea that we see a second wave that comes in that if things reopen and everything seems okay for a month, but then we experience another wave of infection, which kind of remaps the entire landscape again, I can't even imagine the effect of something like that on businesses as they've just begun to recover. We've also been talking about this campaign to encourage people to return to the cinemas. I think that's going to be a crucial part of this recovery effort. With cinemas being allowed to reopen on a piecemeal basis, on state-by-state, city-by-city, county-by-county, that's going to be really hard to communicate. If we look at this sort of reopening effort, again, just because cinemas can reopen in a situation where do you have the equipment needed to provide your audience members or your staff 
the security they're looking for. Secondly, do you have that content, like you mentioned, Russ, in terms of new releases coming in that you can uh, put into your auditorium and play with a license fee that makes sense financially for you? And then finally, when you have those two prerequisites done, how are you going to go about saying, going back to the movies in Georgia is okay, but if you're in Florida, maybe not this week, maybe next week. And if you're in Maryland, maybe you'll be fine in two, three weeks. That's gonna be a really difficult message to get across if we don't start seeing a sort of concentrated effort for uh, for things to recover as a whole. I think it's always a muddled message when you can tell people in one area that they can do something, but another area that same practice is frowned upon. I mean, I have friends who have not been at all, and when I, I lived in Georgia for a long time, I lived in Atlanta for 10 years, and I had friends in North Carolina who would drive to Atlanta for movie events. If something interesting was playing or happening, they would drive down for that. Um, they drive down for concerts, that sort of thing. If you live in a state that is not reopened, quote unquote, and another state 100 miles away is playing tenant, are you going to drive to go see the movie sooner? I can see why people would be tempted to do that. I also think it's not a good idea. And so there are questions like that that become that add layers of complexity to a situation that's I think difficult and extraordinarily challenging at its most basic level. Unfortunately, I think this heavy news week in regards to when cinemas can reopen, even though now we have statements from government officials, has produced uh, a lot more questions than answers, not only for ourselves, but I think for for many cinema professionals and uh, and audiences looking forward to, to come back to the movies. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not looking forward to going back to the movie theaters, and I don't know how you've been spending this last, what, month and a half so far, <laughs> Russ, but I'm already imagining all of the places that I'll be returning to once I can leave uh, you know, the three block radius around my apartment. I'm hoping that a lot of the restaurants I love are still going to be there. I have uh, full confidence that a lot of the movie theaters that I love are still going to be around. Russ, is there a specific movie theater in LA, because that's where you're based, that you're looking forward to going back to? And is there a movie theater that you've visited in one of your many travels that you're looking back to, uh, that you're looking forward to returning to when you can travel again? Yeah, there are. I mean, I could give you a list in Los Angeles, but I won't do that. I'm, you know, I really want to go to the New Beverly again, which is the theater owned by Quentin Tarantino. It's, I used to live walking distance from it. I used to go all the time. I live in a different place now. I have a kid. I don't have as much time. And I have friends who go to the New Bev all the time. And I'm always, always jealous of their <laughs> chances to to go because they do great repertory programming there, virtually all on 35 millimeter. Everything is on film. And so, yeah, I'm very excited to go back to the New Bev and make some time to catch a couple of things there. Beyond that, I'm a theater that I love, which is another small theater. I spent some time in Calgary, Alberta, and there is a theater in Calgary called the Plaza, which was one of the formative movie theaters for me. I saw a lot of things for the first time there, and I have not been there in a very long time. And my wife and I, for a variety of reasons, have discussed visiting Calgary. And one of the reasons I would like to go is I'd really like to go back to the plaza. 
in Calgary. I've never been to Calgary. I've always wanted to go to Calgary. I'll go to the plaza at the Cal- next time I go to the Calgary. <laughs> that might have to be. <laughs> it's a small, it's, you know, it's a single screen theater. And uh, yeah, it, I was actually born in Calgary and uh, my dad worked for Chevron. And so my folks lived up in Calgary twice. And the second time was in the early 90s while I was in college. Uh, so when I would go back to spend time with them, for summers and other things like that is when I would do a lot of visiting. I would do a lot of time at the Plaza Theater, and it, it was wonderful. It was a terrific place. You know, I'm looking forward to getting out of my neighborhood here in New York. I think I know my local parks better than I'd like to at this point. I want to go to other parks. I want <laughs> to see other sidewalks <laughs> sooner rather than later. So the Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, is a, a cinema uh, close to my heart. Uh, I went on a lot of dates with my wife at that cinema. And uh, yeah, looking forward to going there and ordering an obscene amount of tater tots with the cheese dipping sauce while I watch uh, a movie that I've already probably seen three times. That's one of my favorite movie-going activities here in, uh, in New York. Globally, some of my favorite movie theaters end up being in Paris. That's a city that has such a character when it comes to these art house cinemas, some of them single screen, some of these being uh, two screen cinemas. One of my favorites, uh, Studio 28 in the Montmartre section of Paris. That's where Louis Buñuel screened his second feature, L'Age d'Or, in 1930, which unleashed uh, a major riot that completely destroyed a a big part of that theater. They have pictures of of that event. It's a a wonderfully renovated uh, cinema that has a very, very nice outdoor patio where you can get a nice glass of wine and just read a little bit before your screening, which also confirms the sad reality that when I travel. Personally, I make my wife go to movie theaters as opposed to other destinations uh, that she'd like to go. That doesn't make me the best travel buddy to see movies uh, in a foreign country that you could probably stay at home. But hey, some of these movie theaters are really impressive. I understand completely. And I'm the same sort of perhaps not ideal travel buddy. <laughs> I've never seen a movie in Paris. I've gone to concerts. I've spent some a little bit of time there. I've visited, but I've never seen a movie there. So that's great. I will go whenever I go to Paris next, which as a new father is probably not going to be anytime soon. And that's a hint to our corporate overlords at uh, the box office company. Uh, there might be an important business meetings in Paris for uh, Russ and I to attend to in the coming months. Perhaps there will be. Well, Daniel, thank you. Uh, This has been a terrific conversation as always. Happy to speak to you again. Thank you for having me. Great chatting with you as well. Uh, This is the Box Office Podcast, which is produced by Bradley Denham and Caitlin Kehoe. It is written and hosted by Daniel Luria and me, Russ Fisher. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast suppliers. Uh, Please subscribe and share and rate our series. And we will be back next week, hopefully with additional developments in the ongoing saga of the reopening of movie theaters nationwide. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.